I, I really do love uh, the, the book of Hebrews. If you, if you let me pick, I would guess you could probably spend, I mean, literally years going through that book for, for me. I, I love, 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 love uh, Hebrews. And maybe we're not supposed to pick like that, but I just love it. To me, it's one of those, you know, Jerome mentioned last week that idea of finding nuggets along the way that you can pick up. And for me, Hebrews is one of those places where you can, as you're walking along and you're reading through the word and you see there's a a nugget, it's just sort of out there exposed and you start sort of digging that up and you realize that there's a whole vein of gold, right? That just goes super deep, right? That's what Hebrews is for me. The other, the other way that I describe it, and, and I think there's some high school age kids in here, maybe you guys can help out some of the adults who haven't been in school in a little while. To me, Hebrews is an awful lot like the Rosetta Stone. Does anybody remember what that thing is? Rosetta Stone? What is it? <laughs> Not the foreign language program. The older, the older Rosetta Stone. Yeah. Yeah, it's this giant granite block and it's got at the top of it it's got Egyptian hieroglyphics and under that it's got Egyptian script and under that it's got Greek right and it was discovered uh, in the late 1700s and it literally unlocked our understanding of ancient Egypt to be able to make sense of all of those pictures those little hieroglyphs to understand what it was exactly that people were looking at in the pyramids and in all of those artifacts from ancient Egypt. It unlocked. I want to suggest to you this morning that the book of Hebrews is the Rosetta Stone between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because a lot of times, if if we're really honest, if I were really honest, we feel like there's a disconnect, right? Like, oh man, like, right? Because this week, I'm going to go from last week's Mission 119 stuff, was about two very different passages of Scripture, right? It wasn't all Hebrews. It also linked back to Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And there is some wildly complicated stuff in that book, right, about how you sort through infectious skin diseases and what you could eat or not eat, right? And there's some things that our inclination is to sort of look at at a passage of Scripture like that or a whole book like that and say, what is going on here? And I want to suggest to you that Hebrews, when you start picking up those nuggets of gold and you start mining into that it starts to unlock some of what's in the book of Leviticus. And so actually, my request to Nathan to preach from Hebrews is really equally uh, about being able to preach this morning out of Leviticus as well, which I love. It's basically a whole book of instructions to the priests in the Old Testament, right? Those who were called to minister before the Lord and the tabernacle and what they were supposed to do, all of the different offerings and how they were supposed to present themselves. And I find it interesting because, right, we are called now, today, We are called kings and priests, and I don't fully understand that, right? Because when I read in Leviticus, I'm not sure I want to be part of that. I don't want to be sorting through 
skin diseases and unclean food and all of that sort of stuff. But I want to talk a little bit today right, about the reality of it, that, that God's payment plan, when we're talking about sin, and, and I tried to be a little bit creative here. You'll see why here in a couple of minutes. But this, this idea of atonement, right, of, which is really just a, a big word for paying for something, right? When a debt's been incurred, an atonement is a, is a repayment. It's a, a reparation for a debt. It's making things right, putting things back to how they should be. That really God's plan for how to do that is exactly the same in Leviticus as it was in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and the whole rest of the New Testament. Right? We tend to have an idea, a false idea, that somehow along the way God has changed his mind, that somehow he's lowered the bar around how this is all supposed to work. I want to tell you, that bar has not been lowered at all. That the same standards that we read about in, in Exodus, right, God's command to Moses was build the tabernacle and do it exactly the way that I'm showing you priests, here's the outline, and and, and I want you to minister exactly the way that I'm telling you, that the standard is really the same. It just looks different, and I want to talk about that with all of you uh, this morning. And I want to suggest to you that that plan, that payment plan, that atonement plan from the very beginning, and it actually goes back a whole lot further than Leviticus. If you go all the way back into the account in the garden— When Adam and Eve sin, God puts in place an atonement plan. Three chapters in. Right? It says that they tried to cover over, right? They realize they're in the garden, they've sinned, they realize they're naked, and they they sow fig leaves and they cover themselves. And God says, that is not how this is going to work. Right? And if you read closely, it says that He creates for them, He, God, creates for them clothing from the skin of an animal, right? Which meant that there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be bloodshed in order for those skins to be used in that way, for those to be covered over. But it wasn't something that they could do on their own. And here's why. God's plan from the very beginning has always required these three things. He's always required a perfect priest making a perfect preparation and ultimately a perfect presentation unto the Father. And I would argue if you look throughout all of Scripture, you're going to continue to see these three things, right? So if you're a journaler, if you don't journal anything else today, this is what I want you to chew on. And so some of this starts, he describes some of this in the book of Leviticus. And so I want to start there, and I want to wind up in Hebrews, and ultimately for all of us together to to celebrate the Lord's table. And so in Leviticus 21, after he's described all of the, uh, the sacrifices, after we've gotten through all of the how to identify and tend to infectious skin diseases and unclean foods, right, there's a passage in here where the Lord's talking with Moses about the priests and the rules for those priests. And I'm not going to I'm not going to dive into all of this. This is a, a pretty intensive passage, but there's sort of obligations for regular priests, and then it it goes even deeper into the obligations of the high priest, right? The one who from among 
the priest was called to, to actually make the atonement. And so just to, to highlight here, in order to be a priest, to be a perfect priest, you had to be of the line out of the tribe of Levi, the line of Aaron, right? So automatically there's 11 tribes in Israel who are not going to serve this function, right? This is a narrow calling. And those priests had to be, it says in verse 1, that they had to be ceremonially clean, right? A priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who die, right? And it restricts, right, that there was being in the presence of a, of a dead body made somebody ceremonially unclean. And they said, the priests, you've got to really narrow, unless it's an immediate family member, you can't do it. In verse 5, in, so Leviticus 21 in verse 5, it says, priests must not shave their heads or the edges of their beards or cut their bodies. And I literally was thinking about this last night, giving myself a haircut, trimming up my beard this morning, realizing that those very acts would disqualify me from being a priest unto the Lord. And I would guess many of you. We're five verses in and already we're sort of struggling to find a perfect priest. But that's the standard. This is God's direction to Moses. In verse 6, it says they must be holy to their God. They must be set aside. They must be reserved for, for nobody but God. They must not profane the name of their God right, because they present offerings made by fire. Right, it goes on in 7 and 8 and 9. It talks about some of the requirements around marriage. Right, Priests could marry, but there were restrictions around who they could marry. Right, and for good reason. But again, a, a narrowing in terms of this definition, this standard of perfection. And, and when you get into, in verse 10, right, it's talking now about the high priest. Right? This is the, one who, the only one who's going to make that atonement before the Father. Has to be selected from among his brothers. He has to be anointed, ordained to wear the priestly garments. Can't let his hair be cut up, tapped, unkept, or tear his clothes can't enter a place where there's been a dead body, right? even his own father and mother. The woman he marries must be a virgin. You've got to remember, you're talking about lineage here, right? This high priest, his son is going to become the next high priest. You've got to make sure that there's sort of a clear line here, very high standard, because this is going to go on, right? Aaron to his sons, and then they to their sons, and on and on and on. And I think maybe the hardest part for me in all this, right, the part that I've had to chew on the most, when you get down into verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, for the generations to come, none of your des de descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man who has any defect may come near. Blind, lame, disfigured, or deformed, no man with a crippled foot or hand who's hunchbacked or dwarfed, any eye defect, a festering or running sore, damaged testicles, no descendant of Aaron who has any defect may come into the presence to make offerings. Now, depending on how strictly or narrowly you read that, right, if you're sitting here today wearing glasses, you're out. Right, I mean, it's things like that, any defect, that's a high standard, right? That disqualifies an awful lot of people because he's looking for a perfect priest. If you flip back a couple of chapters to Leviticus 16, right now there's the details around what the preparation needs to look like. 
right? And he's talking about this high priest has to first make a sacrifice for himself, right? A sin offering for his own sins, for the sins of his family, and then has to make a, a sacrifice on behalf of the entire community, and that those, with those sacrifices, right, he goes into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle blood on the altar, to make atonement, right, to pay for the sins of himself and of the nation of Israel. Right, it says that the high priest went in and only once a year, once a year, and never without blood. But the preparation is incredibly detailed. If you read through in 16, right, a, a, a bull for this and two goats for this and right, the scapegoats in terms of the, the, the one of them that was going to be killed and one of them that was going to carry the sins of, of the nation away. And it was exactly the same every time. Those sacrifices had to be just as perfect as the priest who was offering them. Without spot, without blemish, you could not bring something lame or disfigured or something that was lacking in order to make atonement. It would not be accepted. Right, in that presentation, right, not just the priest and his preparation, right, of bathing and of wearing certain clothes, the priest did all of this, put off his regular priestly garments and put on very simple linen garments to go and make the sacrifice after he had bathed. And when he came out after he was done, he bathed again and changes his clothes. Incredibly detailed standard. I'm going to come back to that one. After making this perfect presentation, that's the standard, guys. And we think this is an old, an old Testament standard, right? Don't bring anything with defect because it will not be acceptable on your behalf. That's a heavy word. Now, the good news is I'm not done, but that's a heavy standard. That's a high bar, right? And my hope is that this morning that you're feeling, in all honesty, that you're feeling the weight of that. That is a crushing standard of ministry, Here's what it says if you flip over to Hebrews in chapter 7. It says, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come? And the answer is, perfection was never going to be attained through a, that Old Testament structure. It just wasn't. There was no man who was ever going to satisfy that, ever. But what I want you to hear today is that does not mean that God's standard went down. He's still looking for, he's still requiring a perfect priest. That's what makes this table so meaningful. Right? Because we have a perfect priest. Amen? His name is Jesus. We have a perfect priest. Starting in verse 23 in chapter 7. I'm going to start a verse before that, verse 22. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. There have been many of those priests, talking about the Levitical priests, right? There's been many of them, generations, literally hundreds of years of Levitical priests up until this time. Since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. See, in Aaron, 
there was an issue of lineage. Aaron was going to die and his sons were going to take over and they were going to minister and then they were going to die and somebody else was going to take over. But in Jesus, because he lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. We will join with him as priests, like I talked about earlier, but he will be a high priest forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Listen to this. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Folks, we have a high priest. God's bar has never lowered. The reality is that that high bar was met through Christ. He still requires a perfect priest. You know, you read about later on in Hebrews, it talks about letting us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Right? There was, in, in this time, there was only one person who could ever approach the king without worry of being invited first. Everybody else, unless the king invited you, if you went and the king had not called, right, the penalty was death. There was one person who was welcome, uninvited, before the king. You know who that was? The first son. When you talk about Jesus, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Do you know why that is? It is not because you have a credential that allows that to happen. It's because the firstborn son, acting as a perfect priest, has made a way so that you don't have to worry, that you can come into his presence because he has presented himself on your behalf. That's what gets you in. You don't worship your way into the presence of God. You don't pray your way into the presence of God. Jesus, as a perfect priest, made a way for you to be able to do that so that your worship and your prayers even have a chance of getting there because he's a perfect priest. Right? His preparation was perfect. If you flip back into chapter 2, Starting in verse 10, it says, In bringing many sons to glory, that's us, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Here's what you've got to realize. The same way that those Levitical priests, they put off their priestly garments and they put on a much more basic, a much more simple linen garment when they went to make atonement is a picture of exactly what Christ did when he left his place in heaven and put on flesh to dwell among us. Right? His flesh was the same as that linen garment that those Levitical priests would put on so that he could come and make atonement. And what, what happened when he was done? He went back. Right? He returned to the Father, and he's put back on his priestly garments. Amen? That's what they saw after the resurrection. But part of his perfect preparation was through suffering. 
so that both the one who makes men holy and those who are being made holier of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in our humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Right? We just sang about that this morning. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a child because I have a perfect priest who's made a perfect preparation and the presentation of a perfect sacrifice before our Father. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. I gotta be honest with you, there's a part of this that still blows my mind that the author of our faith, Jesus, could somehow still be perfected. It wasn't a moral perfecting. It wasn't like he was a sinner that needed to be perfected. But part of his equipping in order to serve as a high priest required him to come and suffer, to, to be tempted, to be like us so that he could be called out. Right? High priests were only called out from among. He had to undergo that in his own preparation. In order for it to be perfect, in order for him to be perfected, he had to come. He had to suffer so that he could be called out as a high priest for us. I want to wind down here with Hebrews 9 and verse 11. If you're going to read, if you're going to Rosetta Stone one chapter in the book of Hebrews, let it be Hebrews 9. I want to pick up in verse 11. This is talking about the presentation, a perfect presentation made by a perfect priest who had undergone a perfect preparation. Starting in verse 11, it says, Then Christ came as the high priest of good things that are already here and went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He didn't enter by the means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, not a madman tent, literally the most holy place, once for all by his own blood. He made a perfect presentation. Having obtained eternal redemption, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more will that cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we can serve the living God? Right? And then down below a little bit, Starting in verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. 
it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things, right? The earthly tabernacle, the earthly temple, those are the copies of the heavenly things. It was necessary for those things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven, heaven to offer himself again and again the way that the high priest entered into the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. If that were the case, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Friends, I want to build on something that Corey said earlier. Those priests always had to wonder if the sacrifice would be enough. I want to tell you today with 100% certainty that the sacrifice of Christ was enough. Do you know why? This isn't, this isn't an opinion. This isn't Jay's opinion. Do you know why? Because there was never a sacrifice made in the entire Leviticus, the whole Old Testament, the whole Old Covenant. There was never a sacrifice made that came back to life. Right? If God had not found Christ's sacrifice acceptable, if he had not been a perfect priest with a perfect preparation, making a perfect offering, Jesus could not have been resurrected. The wage of sin could have been paid for in death, which is what the old system took care of. But resurrection life that he shares with us, that we can now have his righteousness, could not have happened if his sacrifice were not acceptable to the Father. He could have died. He could not have been resurrected. And so today, I want you to think about that. And to remember that, I get it. This is a little bit of a heavy, and I'm not, this is a weighty thing, guys. But we have a perfect priest whose sacrifice has been found acceptable, not just for himself, but for us, that he's made a way. Here's the reality of where we're at today, guys. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And so this morning, if you're waiting for him, recognizing him and confessing him as your perfect priest, as your perfect sacrifice, then this table is yours. And we have a tremendous thing to remember together this morning. And if you're wondering, then you know what? Today is a day where the, the wondering can stop and you can move over into a place of waiting on him. Not to bear your sin anymore, but to be bringing salvation. He's made a way. This reminds us of his preparation, of his presentation of himself. Amen. It's not a different standard. We just have a tremendous high priest. A perfect high priest.
Lord, today we remember, Lord, we recognize you, Father, as our perfect high priest, Lord, who willingly, lovingly allowed your body to be broken, Lord, and your blood to be shed, to present yourself as a perfect sacrifice before the Father. Lord, not just for yourself, Lord, but for us. Lord, those who had no way that you've made a way. Lord, we celebrate you today. Lord, as you've asked us to do to remember, Lord, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, Lord, to celebrate you as our perfect priest. Lord, we've confessed today that, that you are our way to the Father, to relationship, the only way to be restored and, and redeemed, to be atoned for, that you are the way and the truth and the life, that no one comes to the Father but by Christ, our perfect high priest. Amen. I want to leave you with this. This is from the end of, of Hebrews 13. As you go today, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with every good, everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.